So the guys that are bent to be power lifters, right? They don't all benefit from the same thing, mm-hmm. right? They shouldn't all cycle through bands and chains because some of them are already pre-designed to be really, really good at certain things. And then they're not so good at other things. Good morning, happy Monday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Looking forward to a great week. Pretty fired up. A um, couple of things going on. Obviously, um, if you're following me on Instagram, then then you know that I sent out the golden tickets to the uh, intensive twelve last night. And so, I already got a few responses back on that. We're going to start prep this week as soon as everybody gets um, their acceptance back. And um, so, I'm very excited about getting that rolling. Um, if you didn't get in this time, keep trying. I've had several people that have applied numerous times before they got in. Um, next one will be in July, um, just as a hint. Um, IFSU members, uh, check out uh, ifsuniversity.com today. Um, the Q&A from last week is, is posted. Okay, today's Q&A is with Manuel. You're going to love this one, I think, um, If you, especially if you work with powerlifters. We've been on this kind of powerlifting kick um, as of late, getting a lot of questions in regards to, to some of the the, the methods that, that they use. So we talked about the difference between bands, chains, and weight releasers as to you know who, who qualifies for what, when to use the, the right tool at the right time, and then the differences. So again, I think you're gonna really, really like this, this Q&A um, for today. So have an outstanding Monday, have a terrific week, get a good start, and I will see you recording and, whoops. Time has started. What is your question? Uh, so I wanted to talk about using uh, different uh, implements for strength training. So uh, we were talking earlier this week on the coffee call about uh, weight releasers. Yep. So you um, you mentioned that because the weight is heavier with those, uh, it creates more stiffness and it lessens the, the yield, the yielding action. On the way down. Right. The way down. We got to be really specific where the where the extra load is, okay? So let's um, say for a squat. Say again? For let's, let's use a squat as an example. Absolutely. That would be like the place where it would be most commonly represented, I would think. Um, okay. So if, if let's just, let's make a comparison between two barbell lifts first as, as a representation, okay? So okay. Uh, let's say that you've got 100 kilograms on, on the bar um, for a squat. All right. And then you've got 200 kilograms on the bar for a squat. Mm-hmm. Okay. One will behave in a stiffer manner. The connective tissues will behave in a stiffer manner. So the magnitude of load. So I've increased the load by hundred kilograms, <clears throat> which means that number one, as I descend in the squat, the tissues will be stiffer. And number two, um, even though as I lower the weight down, I'm using fewer motor units than I would to lift it, okay? So my motor units have to drop off or I can't move, right? I am am putting greater load, so I'm recruiting more muscle in the descent with the heavier barbell than I am with the lighter barbell, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, now, since we have that representation, what, what you got with weight, weight releasers is I got the 200 kilogram squat on the way down and I got the 100 kilogram squat on the way up. Mm-hmm. That's basically what we're talking about. Okay. Right. So now we have to say, well, what are the difference between those two squats? Real simple. Okay. 
So as I descend with the weight releasers, okay, and, and we're using a really crazy example, you would never, I don't think you would ever overload a hundred kilogram difference between the two right. squats. Okay. Although I think there's a good reason to do that, but you probably wouldn't do that. Okay. So as you're descending, so I'm, I'm increasing the number of motor units that get overloaded on the way down. Okay. They're trying to, so the motor units that I'm using are the ones that are trying to stay constant again, pushing up against the resistance. I have to drop motor units off so I can actually sit down into the squat. Okay. Mm. Which means that on the way down, my, my, my connective tissues, all right, that, that are involved are stiffer on the way down. Okay. Now here's the really cool thing. The split second that I release that load, the connective tissues start to re-expand, okay? So, so I'm stiff, 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 stiff. I go down to the bottom, the weight kicks off, the connective tissues expand very quickly, and then I try to stand up very quickly. So what I have done is I've done what's called increasing the impulse. So, th so this impulse is a change in the momentum, right? Which means that I'm trying to increase the, the distance covered um, in the shorter period of time. And so, so the really cool thing about, about the weight, weight releasers is that it affects that change in momentum to a very high degree. So it's very, very useful um, in, in um, those situations where and you've seen this on a, on a squat enough times where somebody's really having trouble getting through the sticking point. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so think about a slingshot at the bottom of the squat. So as I let that weight go and the connective tissues start to re-expand and I push really, really hard, I can actually get through, I can use a velocity to get me through the point where I would typically be slower. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I can create momentum from the bottom up by releasing the load. So that's how the weight releasers are gonna are gonna work. Does that make okay. sense? Yes. Um, would you say you know that there's a delay in the guts as you rise up, and then they gain momentum as well and help you through that sticking point? Yeah. So okay. So as so we're going to make an assumption that, that the velocity at which we're going down is, is going to be slower just because we're, the, the amount of load makes the tissue stiffer. It's going to be harder to move. So we're going to move slower. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. You release the weight. Everything starts to expand. I start to push up as aggressively as I can. So think about like if, if, um, if you had a cylinder with a, with a, a water balloon in it, Okay. And I lift the cylinder really fast. The water balloon gets smashed down into the bottom of the cylinder and then, then it would come up. That's basically what the guts will do. So yes, you will accelerate the guts upward. And if I can lighten them, okay. So if I get them off the bottom of the pelvis enough, then they become weightless, right? And then less, I, I mean, it's literally, it's less load that I actually have to lift. That would be an ideal situation when we're talking about expressing the velocity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some people can't do that. And then that's why we use like some of the elastic resistance stuff to try to teach them how to manage those, those issues. So, yeah, I actually wanted to jump into the bands next. So would you, would you see the same, the same thing going on with the band because you're starting at the top, so it should be stiffer, but there's a great, you're talking about a band that's pulling downward. Yeah. So yeah, a normal uh, band setup. So in that okay. case, yep. 
you have you're starting stiffer and then it's gradually decreasing right As okay so weight reliever, which is like an instantaneous uh change right okay so so here's so here's going to be the difference okay so this the this the longer i stretch the band so this is a change in acceleration mm. right so if i'm at the top of a squat and the band is pulling downward at the very very top of the squat acceleration is is actually increasing but it's a negative acceleration okay so so acceleration is is described as as positive or negative so what people call deceleration is actually acceleration just in the opposing direction okay so acceleration is increasing in a negative manner which means that velocity is dropping at the top okay as i as i go down in the squat and and the band is is um is compressing, okay, velocity increases as I go down, all right? I can actually go down faster than the guts on the inside, mm. okay? If I can do it fast enough, okay? So I go down, I, so as I, I accelerate my way downward and the guts are floating, okay? And then they come down and they land on the bottom of the pelvis at the bottom of the squat where I actually have to come to a stop. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they hit, they, they land, they land on the, uh, on, on the guts, depending mm -hmm. on how fast that entire system um, takes place determines what the behavior will be as, as I hit the bottom of the squat. It's like, do I distribute this load um, through the connective tissues? So I expand again, I yield, and then that helps me to snap myself back up, right? Or is, is the, the, the tension so high that, that I hit and it becomes very, very stiff. So again, there's, there's a sweet spot. So this is why, this is why you'll see people um, when they're squatting with, with band resistance, the weight on the bar tends to be well below what, what they would lift for a maximum load. And so it, it, power lifters are, are really, really good at understanding this. The better the power lifter, the lower the bar weight tends to be with a band resisted squat because they're trying to create the yielding action. They're trying to emphasize the yielding action at the bottom of the squat so they can absorb the energy and use that to, to make the turnaround, kind of like we were talking about with the, with the weight releaser, so they can create an, an, a, a faster impulse upward. Mm. So okay. would you say that the tissues are still stiffer at the top with a band? Absolutely. Decrease? At, yes, there you go. Exactly. And so, so the difference between a weight releaser and the, and the banded squat would be the weight releaser is stiff all the way to the bottom, okay? then it releases it very quickly. So I get an impulse. Whereas with the band resistance, it's a decreasing stiffness on the way down. Okay. So I, I'm creating more elongation on the way down, still getting the energy absorption at the bottom, but the impulse might be a little bit slower coming, coming off the box. So that's how you decide. It's like, it's like, what response am I trying to create here? Mm. Right? Am I trying to create this quick, quick impulse or am I just teaching these tissues to first and foremost, absorb the, the, create the yielding action throughout the system. So if we looked at this <clears throat> from a procedure, procedural element, if I got somebody that can't yield at all, I'm going to put them on bands mm -hmm. first, teach them the yielding action, right? Get those tissues to actually yield, 
right? Then I'm going to run through the cycle of weight releasers where it's stiff, 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 and then go bam, and then create this impulse that pops them right up out of the squat. Would you, do you think that chains would be a midway to that as well? Because they're, they're stiff, but they're also gradual. Okay. Now, so, so what, so what, so what the bands are designed to do is prolong the, 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 the duration of max propulsion. Mm-hmm. So it's, so the band, so <clears throat> the uh, chains intentionally slow you down. Okay. So I start in this unweighted position so I can initiate the squat. But as I push through max P, that's where the load comes in. So I'm actually teaching concentric and increased stiffness at that point. So again, it's like, it's like, like bands and chains do not do the same thing. They are not necessarily for the same person at the same time, right? There might be a period where to to emphasize that element of the lift where it becomes very, very useful, okay? But there might be somebody that never ever benefits from chains, Mm -hmm. ever, because their, their, their physiology is designed to be stiffer. So they were meant to be somebody that lifts heavy, heavy things, right? without a time constraint, like a power lifter. So, so the guys that are bent to be power lifters, right? They don't all benefit from the same thing, mm-hmm. right? They shouldn't all cycle through bands and chains because some of them are already pre-designed to be really, really good at certain things. And then they're not so good at other things. And then spending time on that stuff is just a waste of time because they don't get better from it. Mm. Okay. All those techniques are useful for someone at some time. They are not useful for everyone at some time. Right. Hmm. Okay, mm. so, with, so with the chain, you, you, you still have that, uh, that gradual de- uh, unloading as you go down. So would you say that Absolutely. There's, there's a yielding action happening with the chain? Right. Uh, at, at the very bottom. Yes. But it's, it's a much lesser degree because I started right. with, think about it. I'm starting with the heaviest load at the top and I'm deloading at the bottom. So yes, I mean, there has to, there has to be some element of the yield, but if I was to compare it to the, to the, uh, band tension, not even close, not even mm-hmm. close as far as the yielding action, because like I said, that's not what the chains are designed to do. The chains are designed to, to create an additive load. So it's a magnitude based um, influence. So I'm increasing the magnitude at the point where I should be producing the hardest force. So I'm, I'm increasing that duration of force output. So I'm prolonging IR. Mm-hmm. I'm making it last a very, very long time. Okay. So I'm in, I'm in that stiffer range for a very, very long time. I'm in a concentric orientation for a very, very long time. So that's why, that's why when, you, when you use bands, you tend to see a little bit more velocity than when if you use chains where they hit the, they, where you, you hit that load on the chain and it's like literally they're grinding through it, right? So they're not the same. They're mm-hmm. not for the same thing and they, they shouldn't be used for the same thing because they don't produce the same output. Right. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. That yeah. Because I wanted to understand how, it, how, the, how the guts react to these different implements. But it's good. Right. Yeah. So it's so like with the chain, hmm. you're not going to get this. You're not going to get the unweighting of the guts when you're using chains. Because you're still stiff right. on the way down. Yeah. Because so, so the, the, the acceleration doesn't change like it does with the, with the, okay. with the band tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that so helps you? yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. You got one one minute and three seconds. Um. No, that's uh, that, that's all I had. So I think that's we'll, it. Get out of here. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, well, no worries. That's good. Yeah. good questions, though. Good questions. Really yeah, good. This is going to help a lot of people. This is going to help a lot of people. So, because I think that people perceive these things to be the same when they're not even remotely the same. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know they're not the same, but I, I definitely was helpful understanding what's happening internally. So, thank you. Yeah. Big deal. All right, man. Have a great weekend. See you. I'll see you. Bye. So, so velocity, mass of the ball, position, all of these things, all of these things matter. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have no coffee in hand and it is perfect. So I'm pretty pumped up. As you can see, I have a new hoodie on today, thanks to my brother, Jim Ferris. So this is um, affectionately termed the Batman Begins version of the Jim Ferris sweatshirt, shield included in black and gray, as the Batman would prefer. So thank you so much for this. Um, I will treasure it and I will wear it constantly. Even in the heat, I will wear this thing because it, it is it's an awesome, awesome little sweatshirt. Anyway, <clears throat> so let's dive right into today's Q&A. We are short on time. So today's Q&A is with Misha. And we covered some serious ground in regards to medicine ball training. Um, so he had a series of questions that were perfect questions. Like how do we identify what exercises are best for which phase of propulsion? Why does the weight of the ball matter? Um, how do we use fake throws? And so we broke this thing down um, with respect to, to my model, covered a lot of ground. Like I said, I think you're gonna really, really enjoy uh, today's Q&A. If you would like to participate in a Q&A, uh, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. And we will arrange a call at our mutual convenience. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well so you get all those videos um, firsthand. Um, have a great Tuesday and I will see you all tomorrow. We are recording. The timer has started. Misha, what is your question? Uh, so I had a question about how can you uh, manipulate the mad ball throwing to achieve yeah. different uh, positions. So maybe we can look at it like uh, what do you want to do if you want to achieve an early yielding position? What would be the uh, how would you set up the mad ball throw? Okay, so where do you want where do you want the early and the yield? Okay, so that's one of my questions. Uh, would it be different if you wanted to uh, be lower, posterior, and upper? How would you set it up? up upper what? So let's just say you're going for uh, lower pelvis. So you're looking for uh, the uh, sacrum to mutate, and you're looking for expansion, yeah, for expansion okay. lower posterior. So yeah, I I'm think, with you. Yeah. Okay. So, so first and foremost, you've got to start thinking position. So where, where would I expect to see more nutation versus the, the counter nutated position? So I'm going to be towards that middle propulsive strategy, right? That's going to produce a lot, a, a, a lot more of that nutation. Now keep in mind, so, uh, so I need to reduce the amount of turn to capture that position. So right away, you've eliminated a whole bunch of activities. So anything that, that produces a great deal of turning is off the table. 
Okay. Because that's because if I'm trying to capture a nutated position, there's no turn there, at least not within the pelvis, right? I'm going to have some turn um, with the femur relative to the pelvis as a whole, but I, but anything that would be like a, like a side throw where I'm, where I'm inducing a tremendous amount of turn, I probably don't want to spend a lot of time there because I've got my, my really, really early representations and my really, really late representations in, in the, that type of a throw. So if I'm trying to emphasize this middle propulsive um, uh, phase of, of uh, force production, then everything is going to kind of be square to the front. So I'm going to do a lot of bilateral symmetrical type of, of throws under those circumstances. Do you see it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a two-handed chest pass. That's a two-handed overhead throw. That's a, a, that's, um, a scoop toss. Um, so anything that looks bilateral symmetrical under those circumstances is going to be a much more nutated orientation of the pelvis. Um, and therefore, I'm going to reduce the amount of turn. Does that make sense? Okay. That will be for emphasizing mid-propulsion internal rotation. Correct. Correct. So uh, another one, uh, so fake med ball throws, would they also emphasize the internal rotation mid-propulsion? Um, okay, so here's what we gotta do. We gotta talk about this for a second because, because there's, there's something that's unique about, about the fake throws. And I'm gonna give, give credit to my buddy Lee Taft for, for the fake throws because I think that he's, he's the guy that's, that's, that's been well known for that. Um, you have to understand what's happening during a fake throw. Okay, because I know that I'm not going to release the, the, the medicine ball as I am moving into the position. So let's just say that I'm, I'm doing a fake throw down into the right. I know I'm not going to let go of that ball, which means that, that I, the velocity with which I'm moving into that position is decreasing. Mm -hmm. So I have a negative acceleration under those circumstances and I'm slowing down. Okay. If I'm slowing down, that's going to provide me um, a, a way to, to distribute and dampen the forces that are going into, into that, that movement. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I'm slowing down. So I'm, so I'm increasing the amount of time that all of those tissues are gonna be loaded. So I'm creating a, a more of a yielding action than I am creating the, the stiffness at the turnaround. So I'm dampening, I'm dampening that load, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not mm -hmm. going to get the high force, high impact um, or a high impulse, I should say, not impact, high impulse response under those circumstances. So, so I'm dampening as I am moving into, into that internally rotated position. Okay. So this will emphasize more of a yielding strategy. Correct. So, so, so here's, hang on, here's how I would use this. Um, if I, let's just say that you sprained your right ankle and you're making your comeback in training and we, we, we wanna to start to induce changes of direction, but I wanna protect and distribute the force rather than putting a, a really strong impulse through the ankle, I wanna kind of distribute it a little bit. The fake throw allows me to distribute that force going into that internally rotated position where I would have the highest force production. So as I get closer and closer and closer to max P under those circumstances where the intro rotation is at its maximum, where the force is at its maximum, I'm able to, to, to distribute that load. 
Does that make okay. sense? So I'm, so, I'm, yeah. so I'm reducing the amount of stress in one place and I'm spreading it out over a bunch of, of, of area. So it, it, it would be like, um, you, you've seen parkour, right? Yeah. Okay. So they jump off of something really, really high. They hit and they roll, right? If they would try to stick the landing under those circumstances, their legs would explode because the force would be, it would go like the, mo the momentum would go to zero so fast. The tissues would get so stiff and they would literally just explode. Right. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they dampen. So they land, they bend their knees, they bend their ankles, and then they hit and then they roll. And then they're distributing the load over a longer period of time. So the entire system absorbs the stress. And so they, so they distribute it more evenly throughout the body rather than putting it in one spot, which would cause destruction. So a fake throw is the same concept. It's like, I, I know I'm going to, I'm slowing down as I go into it so I can dampen those forces and spread them out. Okay. That makes sense. So there, oh yes, it's yielding. It's more yielding and it's very distributed because you think about it. It's like, I got the med ball in my hands. So I have to translate the energy from the med ball all the way through my system into the ground. So I'm dampening very, very broadly. Okay. And okay. so let's just say somebody is very stiff getting into the cut. They can't really get into the position. That could be one of the solutions. Absolutely. And, and I like the way you said that. It could be one of the solutions. There are many ways to do this. That's just one of them. Uh, so another one is when somebody throws the ball to you, you catch it and then yes. release it. Yes. So is it, can you capture a yielding strategy or again, you're really tensing up. So it's more of an internal rotation strategy. Okay. So we can't, we can't just speak generally about this and say that it's one thing or the other, because, because now we have to talk, about, to talk about momentum. momentum. Right? So we have a mass and we have a velocity. Okay. The heavier the medicine ball. Okay. At a fixed velocity, the more momentum it has. Okay, so that's a magnitude of force, right? We've increased the magnitude. If somebody throws a lighter ball to me, but it's at a higher velocity, I can still have the same amount of momentum, but because the rate of the load is faster, okay, I'm gonna behave more stiffly. So if I have a high magnitude, I'm gonna be stiff. If I have a high velocity, I'm gonna be stiff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have, to, we have to appreciate that there's going to be a sweet spot where depending on how much of a yielding action you want, um, we have to be very particular about the strategy with which you catch it. So mm -hmm. if, if you throw me a heavy medicine ball at a high velocity and I try to just stop it, okay, I have to be very, very stiff under those circumstances. If I'm going to try to dampen it, then I need more time to slow it down. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you see the difference? Yeah. So, so, so the how is just as important as the what under these circumstances. And so there's not like one clean answer as to, oh, this is yielding versus, versus um, you know, re reducing the, the yield and increasing the stiffness. It's like, we have to talk about how heavy is the ball? How fast are you throwing it? What's the method of, of, of the catch? So mm -hmm. if I'm trying to increase the yield, what you wanna think about is I need a longer period of time to slow the ball down. Mm -hmm. But I also have to consider the fact that if I got a really heavy medicine ball, 
right? Or I got somebody that threw one really, really fast. That's going to affect the 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 outcome, mm-hmm. right? And so, so again, do you, do you see how all of these parameters come into play now? Yeah. So it's not one. It's like, you can't just say, oh, medicine balls are for this. It's like, no, you have to say, what kind of a medicine ball throw? What direction am I throwing it in? How am I absorbing that, that, that momentum, right? Mm-hmm. So all of those things come into play. Okay. And um, as far as catching the ball, so maybe if your goal is to emphasize um, more of a yielding strategy, more external rotation yes. versus more of an internal rotation compression strategy, right? would you catch it differently? Because so I'm thinking- no, so, if so I- it's re- re- this, is a, this is a fairly simple answer. I need more time to slow mm-hmm. it down. Yielding is a time-related behavior of connective tissues, right? So the faster I load in, the stiffer they are. So if I catch it, if I catch it here and I stop it at my chest, that's a short period of time. If I if I absorb it all the way through into my externally rotated position, now I'm creating my my delay strategy on that side. I'm I'm increasing the yielding action of those connective tissues for the for the absorption. Mm-hmm. Right? So again, what do I want? Let's go back to your original question, okay? How can I induce how can I induce the, the nutated position, the IARD moment with a medicine ball throw? I'm gonna throw it really hard at you and say, stop this thing as quickly as you can, right? Mm-hmm. Stiffer connective tissues, less rotation, more nutation of the sacrum and a lot more high force IR into the ground. Do you see the difference? Yep, yep. And then, so if you're manipulating the foot position, so let's just say you want to emphasize uh, early yielding, you have heel elevated. Yes, sir. Catch in that position. Yeah. So, and then you're doing it slowly and you maybe you're trying, you're going to affect the whole body, but you're trying to affect the hip. So yeah. would you have kind of like a force coming from the ground and from the, uh, from the ball and meeting in the middle? Well, they do, they do meet because, because I have, so we have to, cons- there's conservation of momentum. So I have a force that's pushing up as the ball is pushing down. And so wherever they, wherever they meet, our, our momentum um, has to be, be conserved, right? So, so, so I have two forces that are meeting. It's like, where do you want this meeting to take place? And, and do you want me to dampen? Um, one of the easy ways to do what I think you're asking is um, we'll do a medicine ball slam um, let's just say that you've got your back foot on the, on the ramp. So, you, so you got a, you got a staggered stance. we got a back foot on the ramp. So, so relative heel to toe is, is on the, on the incline. And we'll just do a medicine ball slam on the diagonal in that direction with a release. So we'll, we'll typically do a release, do a release but, but, but you can do them. You can do them with the fake throw and then distribute the yielding action that way as well. You see the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. And yeah. So, so velocity, mass of the ball, position, all of these things, all of these things matter because you can't just say it's one or the other. That's the thing I want you to remember from this, mm-hmm. right? Okay. You got to look at the interplay of all of these things. Okay. And then uh, another thing, so this is uh, something I got from uh, going on Eric's page that I found interesting is 
when you release the ball, it pushes back on you, right? Yes, yes. He had a very interesting drill where he would slam the ball into the ground and his front foot would contact the ground at the same time and the foot will be in an early position. So he's releasing the ball at the same time as his front foot is contacting the ground in an early position. And he's saying that the ball will push back and create an early strategy, more of a yielding strategy on the left side. Potentially, yes. Potentially, yes. So we have to talk about, it's the same conversation that we just had. It's like, how much force are we talking about here? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Like how much, so, so, as I'm slamming the ball, as I'm slamming the ball, the ball pushes back on me. How fast is it pushing back on me? How much, how much momentum is it creating? Right? So it's like, um, if you shoot a, if you shoot a bullet out of a gun, there's a kick back, right? Because the bullets pushing forward, or the bullets pushing back on the gun, the guns pushing the bullet forward, but the bullet pushes back on the gun. It's like, so, so based on relative size, so I have mass, the ball has mass. It's like how much of that comes into play, the heavier the ball that I do it with. Okay. The more potential momentum that that ball has and the less likely I am to create a yielding action. Cause I've okay. increased the magnitude. I've increased the magnitude, right? So, so again, this is why, this is why we have different size medicine balls is because I have to decide, I have to decide, you know, what I want the outcome to be. And so you're going to have to observe, right? So you, so you use your coach's eye and you say, okay, I didn't like how that was behaving. I can see that they're, that they're, um, I'm getting them too close to max P. I'm trying to create the, if I'm trying to create a, uh, a delay strategy and the forces or the velocity is too high, I can't create the delay strategy, right? So I have to take that into consideration. Okay. And are we okay? Uh, yeah. Are we out of time? I, I got 30 more. seconds. I got 30 seconds. You got something for 30 seconds? Okay. I'll ask on Facebook. I have another okay. one. How Excellent. to create uh, late propulsion. How to emphasize late propulsion. We didn't talk about that. But I, 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 gotta I, I, get all the way. So real quick, you just got to get all the way through the motion, right? So we've been talking about it. We've been talking about late for right. position, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you okay. got to get far enough forward. So that's a turn. <clears throat> that's a turn and a push from the opposite side. So I got to turn the sacrum. I got to, I got to turn the sacrum away from that leg. Right. So that's just, that's, that's actually pretty, pretty simple. Yeah. You okay. just got to push all the way through Make sure it's a turn though. Okay. Okay. All yeah. right, man. Thank you so much. Have a great day. There'll be days where you knock it out of the park and there'll be, there'll be day, days where you're eating rhinoceros poop, you know, because it was just such a bad day. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. Okay. Today is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow is Thursday. So 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, the Coffee and Coaches Conference Call as usual, will take place. Um, we've had great groups, great questions, um, lots of great discussion going on there. I, I enjoy these calls tremendously, so they will be continuing um, as long as they are useful. So please join us at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, the link will be on my professional Facebook page a little bit before the call at 6 a.m. Um, Got to dig into today's Q&A. We are short on time. 
So uh, today's call is with uh, Johnny. And we've talked to Johnny before. Johnny's a, a, a chiropractic student on his clinical rotations. And so he has some really good questions in regards to some of the principles upon which we want to base our, our, our process in regards to how movement arises. And so we talked a little bit about gait and propulsion and how that, that may apply um, and under the guise of these, these physical principles. Um, the conversation sort of evolved into, okay, how does this system interact to find out what people are really good at? How do we see some of these amazing performances um, in, in regards to how the system uh, behaves? And then we got into a little bit of the, the, the patient interaction as to what we are responsible for as clinicians. And I think that's gonna be very useful. So if you know any students or, or or people that want to be students, um, this is going to be a really, really useful, useful call for you. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, put 15-minute consult in the subject line so I don't delete it, and we will arrange one of those at our mutual convenience. Um, please go to the YouTube page. Don't forget to subscribe to that so you can um, get access to all of these videos um, at a moment's notice. And then everybody have a terrific Wednesday. I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. on the Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Have a great day. Recording. Clock has started. What is your question, young man? All right. So you've mentioned before that both sides of, so uh, regarding gait and the thorax, that both sides of the thorax are moving forward, one just slower than the other, which makes sense right. now that gone through the fact that the whole body is moving forward in space um but obviously it appears so like let's use right leg is in stance phase as, as the example that the right side of the thorax is moving backwards it appears that way because the relative uh, movement the displacement forward is different so my question is why is the right side moving slower than the left? Is it because the right side of the body is internally rotating and that slows down time, which slows the rate of loading on the connective tissue? Or you can right. get that thought or... Yeah, so, so okay, so this is, this is classical physics, okay? So as the foot lands on the ground, all right, I have to push into the ground. The ground is pushing back against me. So this is straight up Isaac Newton, third law, okay, right? For every action, there's an equal. It's what he's actually talking about. He's talking about conservation of momentum, okay? That's, that's literally what the third law is, is, okay. is conservation of momentum, right? So as I, as I land with my foot on the ground, the, I push into the ground, the ground pushes back onto me. So what you, what you have is, is a change in the, uh, you have a change in velocity, which means that, that I have, so a change in velocity is acceleration. And so if I have a change in the acceleration, which I do <clears throat> because I'm pushing, right? Gravity pushes down, I push up, okay? So there's a change in acceleration, which means that, um, and it's a negative change in acceleration, which means velocity is decreasing, okay? So velocity is meters per second, okay? So if I am slowing down the, by distance, I am, I'm slowly narrowing time. You see it? You see how time gets smaller and smaller and smaller as I, as I get closer and closer to max propulsion, okay? So when I hit max propulsion, I'm at the big goose egg, I'm at zero, right? There's no time. 
So literally for a split second, there's no time. Then I have conservation of momentum that creates the expansive strategy that's going in the other direction. That's why I always say that external rotation is where you demonstrate velocity because that's where you see it because it's increasing or decreasing. What is increasing or decreasing? Velocity. Okay, gotcha. So there's so when, whenever there's a change in the acceleration, there's a change in the, so acceleration is based on, is, is defined as a change in velocity. Right. So if I have a change in the acceleration, so if acceleration is increasing and it will increase either positively or negatively. So so what, what people call deceleration is just a negative acceleration. Right. Right. Okay. So that's an increase in acceleration. And so so I will see the so as I as I as I have my biggest space, my biggest expansion is where the velocity is demonstrated to be greatest. Right. OK. Yeah, I need to go through probably the equations and see how time comes into the equation because also I'm just fascinated by that. It's, it's the, so, okay, so, so again, it's meters per second, right? So there's your time, okay? The, the, the space is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, right? So the amount of time, okay. the, the amount of time that is that is available for movement is smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's I'm I'm literally closing the space where where I can actually move. So at max p, when I'm pushing maximally into the ground and the ground is pushing up maximally into me, and that there's no second, space there's no space. There's literally no space. <laughs> what? Okay. So funny. I, oh, just uh, <laughs> I guess it's just to me and i don't know it's just using my reaction when i come to uh when the light bulb goes off so right so so you know you, you do you remember when you were when you were applying to, to school and you had to get all your prereqs done and they said yeah we need you to take two semesters of physics right mm -hmm. yeah and they never told you why this is why this is so you understand why this, why it works this way. But see, now you have to, now the, the important thing to understand is, is like, okay, so now I'm a human and I have these physical constraints, right? I have a structure. I have, I have behavior. Uh, I like there's fluid mechanics. There's, there's compression expansion. There is behavior of tissues, etc. right? That all have to follow the same rules because they're fixed. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, Newton, Newton kind of figured out most of this stuff, at least on a useful level. Right. Some of the stuff he's wrong about, but 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 on a useful level, on an observational level, he's right. So we just have to say, OK, well, if I'm a human being, how do I do this? If I was a worm, how do I do this? Right. And so now you go now that you go you go to school like your specialized school and they say, well, here's here's how these tissues behave in a world that follows these governing laws. If hopefully they did that, right? <clears throat> I mean, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It depends totally. on the, yeah. <laughs> you know? it, it, but it's like, it, it, it's, not, it's not just to make sure that you're smart enough to get into school. What it was for was, was to, to teach you how this behavior applies within a human, right? In okay. this world, in the space around you. 
And this under- is why this is why I talk the way I do because because literally you have if if you can conceptualize this stuff, it it provides answers to how you do things to enhance some form of behavior, right? So if I need if I need um, a, a baseball pitcher to throw a baseball faster, I, I identify what his capabilities are. And I say, well, if you want to do this faster, you're going to have to be able to do this. And then there's going to be limits. Some people's tissue behavior do not allow them to throw hundred miles an hour. Some people's movement capabilities do not allow them to throw hundred miles an hour. Some people's force production does not allow them to throw hundred miles per hour. That's why that's a very specialized group of humans. Their physical structure predetermined that, I mean, the gods smiled upon them and they turned their arm into a thunderbolt as the, as the saying goes, right? If you watch the yeah. right movie, you would understand that. Um, okay. Um. I'm not a big movie guy. <laughs> All the best uh, are, are, so are there based on that line of thinking, are there, there's similarities in, so I'll go say like a pitcher pitchers. There's a similarity in their structure that allows yes. to do that. Okay. Okay. There, there, there's similarities, but, but they can do things. They can do things differently. So if I got a guy that's five foot 10, 220 pounds, and he's a wide ISA, and I got another guy that's six foot seven, um, you know, 210 pounds, um, and he's narrow ISA, right? There's certain elements within, within the throw that have to take place, but how they, how they acquire those positions, how much time they have to produce each element may be different. Right. But again, that this is this is why like, like you can't take anybody off the street and turn them into anything that they want to be. Right. So we have parents, to have pre- go ahead. Our parents lied to us. We can't be anything we want to be. Um, yeah, yes, they did. They, they didn't. So they were afraid that they were going to hurt your feelings. And so they wanted you because they, they were like, come on, Johnny, you can do it. Give it the yeah. old college try. You can be anything you want as long as you want it bad enough. And that's the biggest lie in the world. You can be you can be great at something that you were meant to be great at. That's that's the that's the answer. So what what you have to do as a human being is you have to discover that. So how do you do that? Well, you expose yourself to a bunch of things, and then eventually you're going to find something that you like. And the reason that you like it is probably because you're good at it. So some people turn into Tony Hawk and they're professional skateboarders, and some people um, turn into Brandon Woodruff who can throw 98 miles an hour at at a moment's notice. And I, I, all of, all of my athletes are like really old. Um, people because I don't pay attention to like the, the, the current sports and stuff. And so I, I think back to like the seventies and eighties, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, who Tom Brady is arguably, arguably one of the better quarterbacks around, right. He's just has, you know, he's been around longer. The longer you stay, the more records you get to, you get to play or get to break. Um, but, but it's like, no, he was, he was pre- predetermined to being good at certain things. Tom Brady is never going to be a great running quarterback. Right. I mean, you can't you you can't be a great running quarterback when you're in a five two forty, right? Yeah. But but take the cognitive side of it. I think he's probably got that nailed down. You know, he can yeah. throw well enough. He can throw well enough, right? Joe Montana was very similar. Joe Montana was not known for having a cannon of a, of a throwing arm, but he was a great quarterback because talk about somebody that's cool under pressure, right? And a, and a great thinker in stressful situations. So you compensate for certain elements of it. That's what makes certain people really, really good. You could take somebody that has the greatest physical tools. So, so let's look at Cam Newton, right? 
Does anybody have better physical tools? Probably not. Okay. Is he the greatest quarterback that's ever lived? No, he has moments of greatness. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but, but again, it's like, you have to look at, look at what, what do you bring to the table? What are your strengths? Right. And then you just have to understand those. And then we apply them to whatever environment that we're working in. We're saying, okay, chances are you're going to be able to do this. And then we'll, right. try to you, we'll try to move you towards something that you're really, really good at. Yeah. And that goes against the common paradigm of trying to strengthen your weaknesses and to bring up That's, your whole. <clears throat> so, so people confuse undeveloped potential for strengthening a weakness. Okay. There's really a difference. Good. There's a yeah. difference. You will never, you will never turn a weakness into a strength. You can develop, you can develop things into, into its, its potential, but you can't take a week. Like, okay. So one of my weaknesses, if I was, if I was to be a, try to be a professional basketball player, which is totally impossible. Right. But if I was to try, one of my weaknesses is that I'm, I'm um, short. Right. So I'm like five foot nine, five foot 10. Okay. Slightly above average in height. But that's a weakness. It's like, okay, so you're, you're going to tell me, it's like, oh, well, we'll turn your height into a strength. It's like, uh, no, it doesn't happen that way. Like, oh, no, keep, we'll keep working on it. We'll get you to 6'5". You know, well, if we compress enough, you don't like, you don't lengthen. <laughs> well, theoretically you do, right? <laughs> Only to a certain point within the constraints of your, every kid. But, but, but you, you have to look at it from that perspective. It's like, yes, I have undeveloped potentials. That's why you have to expose yourself to, to a number of things. And you say, you know what? I'm kind of good at this. And therefore, because I'm good at it, I kind of like it. And then I do more of that. And then I develop these things. And, and so you sort of find those, those things that you're really, really good at, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I want to switch gears kind of to the mm-hmm. last call we had. Um, I don't think I framed the question well enough to get a good answer, a good discussion of it. We were talking about not taking credit for when a patient gets better, but right. also feeling, or I guess maintaining responsibility for when they don't. And I feel like those two things kind of contradict each other. And I guess my question is, how do you find that balance of not taking credit when a patient gets better? Because if you don't do that, how can you be responsible if they don't get better? You know what I'm saying? Okay. So what is your responsibility in, in the, the um, clinician-therapist interaction? Well, it is to help them, got to help guide the patient to feel better. That's, and that's your responsibility. And so you're not nothing, you have nothing to do. You have nothing. So, okay. So here you go, Johnny. Um, Patient comes to you and you do something with them and then they feel better afterwards. Okay. Patient comes to you, you do something with them and they feel worse afterwards. Which, which one, which one do you have responsibility for? responsibility for i mean i would say both no you can't do anything about it you don't control the outcome but so wasn't it my decision to update to 
impose whatever intervention that led to the outcome? Well, I, no, you, you just you just learned that that intervention was not the appropriate one. You, you, you were trying to narrow the probabilities as to what would be most effective. And so then the response is, okay, that was not the outcome that we desired. Okay, so I have eliminated that. So you did something, you were successful in, in determining that something was not the appropriate action at the time. Better or worse is their decision. You don't decide whether they're better or not. That's them. It's not your responsibility. You might be a lousy guide, okay? Right? Mm -hmm. You might be a lousy guide. That's true. That's true. But whether they get better or worse, what if you do the exact wrong thing and they get better? Yeah, that's... You ever have you have enough <laughs> clinical experience where, where somebody came back to you and, and they did something you thought was like totally wrong, totally off the wall, and then they felt better about it? Um, it happens to me all the time. I was right? say, probably do stuff. I yeah. don't... Don't like remember. I'll give them, I'll give them an intervention and they'll and and we have like a, a nice little like a, a really good outcome in the purple room right and then they'll go and they'll go do stuff like stuff that I would I would like I would typically say just probably not a great idea based on my experience based on the probabilities it's probably a bad idea so let's I'm gonna pick on yoga it's like I have nothing against yoga but let's just pick on yoga for a second and they go yeah I took a yoga class and I felt so much better it's like great do that. Right. Because that, I mean, that wasn't my idea, right? But it made them feel better. So, so again, so maybe there was a there's a eight percent chance that yoga was going to make them feel better, and a ninety two percent chance against it. But they fell into that eight percent that time. That's the reality. Your responsibility. So. Your responsibility is to evolve yourself into the best possible guide. But ultimately. You don't make them better. You're trying to create an environment that allows them to, to arrive at the solution. You interact, you interact with them. You become entangled with them, right? You're trying to influence them in a favorable way. That's all you can do. The outcome is not your decision. Is it, and it, is it even their decision conscious? Not really. It's an interaction. It's, it's I mean, it, it, it's a number of factors. It is their, their system that, that determines the final outcome because it is them. Right. Right. But, right. But think of all the things. And again, this is like an impossible thing that I'm asking here. It's like, but think of all the things that, that could potentially influence the outcome. Right. Really? And you really think it was you? Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe. You know? Yeah. You, you yeah. can do everything right. You can do everything right. There's just too many uncontrollable variables. Yes, to sir. Welcome to complexity. This is what this is, this is how you manage complexity and uncertainty. Right? You're always good. I I I I think I have a good feel for you after two or three calls here that that you're a good human being. You're gonna you're gonna develop yourself into the best possible clinician clinician that you can be. You want to do right by people, but you don't have that kind of control. I'm sorry, you're not a god. No, gotcha. You know, not that. You might have, um, super, you might have superpowers that we don't know about, but, but all due respect. I want to reveal the camera, huh? <laughs> 
I wouldn't reveal those on camera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But probably a bad idea. People will talk. You'll be judged. Yeah, yeah that's that's not good. Um, All right. So is it useful then to try? I got two minutes. I got two minutes. I got two minutes. Okay, gotcha. Just so you, okay. Yeah, I don't know if this, I don't think this will take too terribly long. Is it useful to, so based on like the complexities to at least learn about as many of the influencing factors absolutely and so that you can account for them so at least you know hey this is possibly why my intervention did or did not work and again you don't come to a definitive answer but at least you kind of you can appreciate those things right, right. that's why i'll never take advice from you until you've you've invested 30 years in practice because it'll and i'm, I'm kidding of course yeah my point is, this is why this is why the exper experiential element is so is so powerful for for what we do for a living, is because you don't have a broad enough scope, a perspective to make a, the best possible decisions. There'll be days where you knock it out of the park, and there'll be there'll be day, days where you're eating rhinoceros poop, you know, because it was just such a bad day. And by the way, after thirty years, that still happens. Um, no, but it's like, it's like you have to evolve. You have to accumulate this perspective. It can't be done. School cannot teach it to you. Experience will teach it to you. You're going to get knocked on your ass a number of times, right? And that's where you're going to learn the most unless you pay attention to, your, to where you're successful as well and you ask the same questions. When, when you're successful, you say, what else could I have done? What could I have done that was even better? Because people say, oh, you got a favorable outcome. Well, was it the best possible outcome or just better than what they started with, right? When people get excited, they, they say, oh, this guy came in with zero degrees of hip interrotation. We got 10. It's like, okay, are you happy with 10? Right. Maybe, maybe, you know, like if this guy's like a high level sprinter, 10 degrees of interrotation is pretty impressive, right? But, but you know, if it's, if it's a regular person that's off the street that needs 40, are you really going to be satisfied with that? Maybe you just need a better perspective, but that might just take some time for you to, for you to gather that another tool in the toolbox to access a different aspect of the system. This is how you build the clinician. This is why, this is why you're on, are you still on clinicals? Yeah. I got my last semester this summer. Of yeah, this is why you're on clinicals. It's like, so you capture some real life experience before they say, Oh, now you can actually touch people without anybody else in the room. It's like, uh, okay. Right, <laughs> you're still yeah. gonna suck. Yeah, because we all suck. We're all terrible at this. Just so you know, just stumbling. We're all terrible, <laughs> dude. I, like, there's too many unknowns. There's too many unknowns. Yeah, you just get better. You just get better. You narrow the probabilities. Right. Just don't don't get high on your. What is it? Don't get high on your own supply. Right. Yeah. Isn't that right? <laughs> I think Wim Hof actually preaches that, but I, Wim I Hof, the, uh, the ice man. I, I saw him. I saw him running in the snow on TV once. I think, I think that's, yeah. is that the guy? That's yeah. the guy. Yeah. Where they, they buried him in, up in ice up to his neck and, and, and yeah, he's crazy. So there you go. He's a superhero. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Teaching awesome. everybody else to be a superhero. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, all right. I gotta go, but, right. uh, to talk to you again i hope this was useful for you and uh keep keep kicking butt on your clinicals man i appreciate Thanks. it i'll see, see you ya.
Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. That is really good too, by the way. Yep. That makes sense. Um, and then moving down to the hip. So like still saying in that imaginary sagittal plane, so your hip flexion measure um, for someone that has really, really limited hip flexion. Um, so like you can't like authentically get them to like the desired testing position to do IR and ER. How would your interpretation of their rotation measures change or does it change at all? Or do you kind of get them up to like 90 degrees? Uh, I went for the single air quote. Um, <laughs> how, would, how would your, like, would you still just try to get them up as close as you can to that and then still do your measures or like, what, what are you kind of considering there? Well, you, you've got two options and you get to, you get to choose you get to choose the option here. One, you don't measure it because you can't get a true position or you take them there and you see what happens. So you have a comparison um, for after you intervene because you kind of know if I can't get you there, where's, where's the concentric orientation that's interfering? Posterior lower. Yeah, I mean, it's so like right away, you kind of know what you're looking at, right? But, but if you want to have a comparison for like a before and an after, then go ahead and take them to where you would typically do your traditional measurements so you can compare the before and the after with the understanding that you know that you're in compensation land, mm -hmm. right? But it can still provide you information as the comparison. So I'll give you, for instance, so I had a guy yesterday who probably came in, maybe had 60 degrees of hip flexion. I took him all the way up to, to the traditional measure and he has like, 25 degrees of total hip excursion in, in ER and IR, right? But I expected that, like, like it was not a surprise, but I have, a, I have my comparison on, on, the, um, on the paper, right? Mm -hmm. in, the same, in the same representation, I could have somebody that is compressed A to P to such a degree that they come in and they might have 70 degrees of, of ER Okay, and minus five degrees of IR at, at 90 degrees and still have limited hip flexion. And that tells me another, uh, it gives me another piece of information is that I now have somebody that is turning elsewhere. You see, you see why it, it can become valuable. Yep, absolutely. It, it's just a matter of, of, of identifying what the potential representations are. So from a treatment standpoint, it doesn't really change anything as to how you're going to initiate it, but it does give you the comparison. Gotcha. That, Thank that, you. Does that help you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Hello. Greetings. Um, so my question is, if you have someone with bilateral posterior lower compression, you put them on the table and you're just going to cross connect both sides. Okay. Um, and they, this say this is an individual with like a big strength training history do you ever just run into a problem where the effect you would need would just be taking forever to cross connect them and you'd be better off doing some more type of loaded activity um being vague about loaded activity then becomes the question mark right so so give me like a give me a for instance that that what you're talking about so i understand um, all right. So if you just had them cross connecting and breathing, um, you wouldn't be able to achieve the desire. No, I, I, I understand that part that the, the loading part is what I want, what I want to understand. 
when you say doing a loaded activity, what are you what are you referring to? I'm actually not sure. I think that's probably <laughs> okay. my question. That's fair. That's fair. So is it is the thought process? Um, I can't get you to move there under normal circumstances, but I could probably pull you into it if I put enough load on your back. Yeah, like what would be a, a like you can't way squat deep. Let's that, put five hundred pounds in the. You can't squat deep. We'll put five hundred pounds on the bar, and I'll shove you down. Yeah, but like a, a more moderate version of that. I understood. I'm just using. I'm. 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 I'm using an extreme as a representation. So, so here's the problem that you run into with load. What does load make you do? Compensate. Well, but but it's. It, are you gonna like let? Are you just? Oh, gonna, it makes you comp compress. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, so you know, there's there's going to be an element of concert or orientation that's going to be associated with trying to control the load, and so it could it could you know, create interference. Um, you're, a, you're a PT, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, so if, if somebody can't access a sensation or a position on their own, what do you do under any circumstance? You can move them into it. Okay. And then would there be any methods that, that you have acquired in your toolbox that allow you to lay your hands upon someone and make a change of concentric to eccentric orientation? Yes. Definitely. Okay. So, so now because you've got those skills available to you, now you know when to implement them. So, so he needs help to feel what it's like to let that go. So if you can't execute it with an activity, so if you can't give him like really slow, gentle, lazy kind of rolling activities to teach him to tune down the concentric orientation himself, now you got to break out your toolbox and you say, okay, I'm going to lay hands on this guy and I'm going to say, okay, so he's got like posterior lower compressor strategy that's interfering. Guess where you got to put your hands? That's where you got to go. So you're going to give him the sensation that he cannot create himself. Right? So maybe it's rib mobilizations. Maybe you're, you're going to uh, apply pressures and tensions to connective tissues and, and contractile tissue to teach him to, to release that concentric orientation, right? And then that's, like I said, this is how you know when to use those, those, uh, those tools is because the first and foremost, I always give people an opportunity to try to do things themselves because that works a whole lot better, but sometimes they can't. Gotcha. So in, yeah. in getting to the field, the, the pressures and the, the tensions, yes. you're not, are you just, you're not just doing it for them. You are well, yeah, guiding okay. them through the sensation. If, if, if I have a guy that, that, that is sitting there with, with a concentrically oriented muscle and he doesn't know the difference between that representation and what it feels like to not do that, I have to give him that sensation. Mm -hmm. I have to provide it. it is, so, so what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a window of opportunity so you can actually do something movement-wise that he can execute. But to do that, I have to give him the capability to do that, okay? All right, so you're going to interact. You're going to, like I said, whatever, I don't care what methods people use. I don't care if it's, if it's dry needling and it works, if it's uh, what would be considered soft tissue mobilization and it works, if it's a joint manipulation and it works. Like it works because it works, okay? Um, but, but you have to be able to access movement and position to create the activity so he can then execute it himself. 
Okay. Okay. This is why this is why we have those tools. It's like the, you know, you don't when you think about like a a hierarchy of of treatment. Um, if if someone brands themselves a manual therapist, they tend to jump right into manual therapy, and a lot of times they can make they can make effective changes. The amount of learning that takes place under those circumstances is is limited, and therefore the the outcome may not may not last. So in in this circumstance, what I would say is you try to make the change with him, so he gets the sensation. Then you teach him the activity that you wanted to teach him in the first place. Now he actually has access to those positions, and so he can create the the position. He can feel the sensation, right, and then execute it much more effectively, and then you have a better outcome. Does the yielding action of connective tissue always come with the stretch sensation? No. It, it, it may not yield. I mean, you're putting tension on it, right? So you will have a sensory input, but, but you don't always get it. Sometimes you have to hold it there for a really long time and maybe you'll get it, right? So you have stress relaxation in the, in the connective tissues. So you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't feel a stretch there. Well, again, the, the, the sensory is, is kind of dependent on, on the, just the tension on the tissues, right? Right. I mean, you're going to feel it, whether it's yielding or not, that that's, that's a question mark. So if, if you're trying to lengthen, if you're trying to gain eccentric orientation or yielding the connecting tissue and you're not getting a stretch sensation, what, what sensation am I looking for? Okay. That seems hard. Eccentric orientation, true eccentric orientation doesn't have any tension on it. So it doesn't feel like anything. Okay. Always remember that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the, the typically the sensation that you're going to be be feeling un, under those stretching circumstances is going to be load on the connective tissues. The question mark is is where, um, like at at what point in the excursion? So eccentric orientation buys me position. The yielding and overcoming stuff is the connective tissue behavior. So you're going to be bumping into if you feel that tension, you're going to be bumping into connective tissues. The question mark mm -hmm. is is it yielding or not, right? And then that's going to be dependent on duration of, of, of position, if there's a load on it, right? The rate at which it's being loaded. If I, have a, if I have a lot of concentric orientation, I have a lot of instantaneous load on connective tissues. And so it will behave more stiffly than so stiffly. Is stiffly a word? It'll behave sure. more stiffly. Uh, it'll behave stiffer than, than the, the yielding. Um, the yielding action that would be associated with the the elongation. And again, that 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 could be just a time dependent phenomenon. But I think that, that under your, the circumstances you described, like like you may want to just invest some some manual stuff at that point. Okay. All right. Does that make right. sense? Do you, do you see how it kind of fits? Like like your, your oh yeah absolutely absolutely yeah definitely yeah because because we all get we all get like. Oh, they, they're not responding to this activity. I'm picking the wrong activity. It's like, not necessarily. It's like, it's like, that's not, that might not be the influence. It may just be that, that he needs a little bit of help. And that's why, that's why we do these things that, that give people a little bit of help. Gotcha. Grace. Thank you. You're welcome. I have Hi, so girl. many related tangential questions. Um, well, I, to that point, I feel like I have to the point that you just made of they probably might need some help. It might not be 
a wrong exercise selection choice. I feel like I'm in that camp of like, oh, didn't see changes. I must be wrong. Just assuming I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't have, I'm not aware of any ways that I have capability to help them either get that space or sensation. Although you did just mention stretching in some ways. Yeah. Um, maybe. 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 Um, so like, how would you achieve those more in those? Um, I don't, I don't know if I would call it an orientation or a positional change, either in connective tissue or mm -hmm. in eccentric orientation without manual therapy from a strength conditioning perspective. Okay. So let's, let's, let's look at a, a, a first principle. Okay. What you, you don't have to mute. We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to type my notes. So oh, I got you. All right. So, um, what, what, what do we do when, when, when a, a, a therapist or, or the equivalent, any, some kind of clinician that does manual therapy is applying it? What are we actually applying to the human being? Force. Okay. How do we, what, so, so is there, is there an easier way for, you're right. Is there an easier way for me to describe that in regards to what we talk about um, as far as how things move? How do things move, Grace? There's only there's only two options. Water, like fluid. Okay, but there's 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 two ways that we we that we move that gradient E R I R. Say it, Manuel. Manuel's got it. Say it. Expansion and compression. Boom. There you go. Okay. So when a therapist is applying manual therapy, that's all they're doing. Expanding and compressing. Right. So so the principle. The principle is apply pressure or alleviate it, right? And so we would use like say a compression or a tension, right? And we're trying to, to create an input that the body will respond to, right? So if I apply pressure to a hydrophilic tissue, which be like something that it loves water, which is like everything in you, in you loves water. Okay. If I apply pressure to that, I get a shape change. Okay. What you need to understand is where do I need the shape change? Right. Okay. Then the question mark is, do I have any methods available to me without laying my hands on someone that may apply pressure or tension in the right place? Well, foam rolling could in a perfect person. They got a whole bunch of like knobby things and round things and long cylinder things. And they got, I, I'm waiting for the foam roller to come out that has like the, the, the nails on it, you know, like a bed of nails. I'm waiting for I that one to come out. Right. Um, no, it's like, so we, so we have some of these things at our disposal. What, what the question mark is, um, is do you understand where that, that this needs to be applied? And do you understand the, the, lack of a better term, dosage, to get the response that you want. And do you understand what you're trying to affect? It's kind of like, you, you ever watch Bugs Bunny Roadrunner cartoons? So the, the cliff breaks away and Wile E. Coyote's standing there looking in the, in, the, in the camera and his neck gets really long and then his head snaps down. Mm -hmm. Reverse gears.
Good morning. Happy Friday. I have Neural Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. So I'm a little smiley. Um, we just started the new intensive group that's getting getting prepped for the for the June intensive, intensive 12. And uh, the first assignments are coming in. And I'm reading these this morning and um, it just tickles me. I've got a great group of thinkers coming in. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, keep in mind that we're going to do this again probably in July. I don't have the exact date yet, but if you're interested in, in attending, uh, be on the lookout for that because I, I will announce it and we will have the application process as we always do. Uh, today's Q&A is another section of yesterday's Coffee and Coaches conference call. It was such a good call. I had to show you this, this section. So one of the things that we talked about was uh, how we're managing internal forces for things like like change of direction, acceleration. Um, we talked a little bit about, about squatting variations, a very unique squatting variation actually um, that addresses some of these internal forces. Um, so it, so I, if you're confused or you don't have a, a depth of understanding about what we're talking about, when we're talking about internal forces, this is gonna be a really, really good call for you. Um, and then we wrapped it up, um, Zach uh, is a, Relatively new therapist. He's been out a few years, um, but he's he's trying to structure some of his learning. It's like he's not really sure which direction to go. So we talk about how to structure your process as to what you need to attend to, and then what tools you may need to acquire um, depending on where you are in, in your career. So again, if you're if you're sort of like confused by this massive quantity of information, you're not sure which way to go. Um, hopefully, this will will help guide you a little bit. Um, have an outstanding weekend. I have one spot left over uh, for a 15-minute consultation uh, this weekend. So if you would like that, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line, and, and we will get you set up for, for that call for the weekend. Um, again, have an outstanding weekend. I will see you all next week. Oh, there you are. Okay. Yeah, I can see you. Okay. So I was watching the video with you and Manuel. Um, that was really interesting. The one with the bands. That was a really yeah. good. I, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. And I was trying to think of some uh, a comment Manuel made about what would be like a, a way to combine kind of the effects of the elastic and the, and the uh, weight releasers. So I was thinking, could you do like a, if you had a chop with a band that kind of push you into like a cut, and then you release the band and then push out of it, would that be where you would get the acceleration and kind of get that yield in the, into the side that you're cutting into and then be able to come out of that? So you're doing a chop, which is, which is an unweighting activity. Or not a chop, but just have a band at a diagonal, like behind you, just so you get that, just to... Um, pulling you into it? Pulling you into it, correct. Oh, yeah, we do that all the time. Okay. Okay, and yeah. that would be a way to kind of combine the elastic and Correct. the weight release. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's the, the the thing that I would never do, I won't say never, but the thing that I typically wouldn't recommend is is making you got to make sure you release the band tension. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, the way we the way we do that is you wrap it around. You like you don't put them inside the loop. You put the loop around them, and then you pull it, and then mm. you pull them into the cut, and then you can release one of it, and it swings out of the way, and then they can take mm. off. Yeah. Same, okay. Same thing. Same concept. Okay. And if you were trying to, um, I was thinking about you know the application of that. If you were trying to drive just the yielding action, it would be counterproductive to 
kind of push out of that cup, right? Like, because you're going to be driving that, that impulse and you're going to be driving uh, that concentric orientation again. Okay. So, so on the release of the tension, that's, you're going to get this, this quick expansion of oh, you're taking load away, you're taking the rate and the load away. So you're going to get this really quick expansion of the yield. Expansion of the yield. What so, is that? so, so, the, so, okay. So I'm pulling you into it. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, that's a higher tension and a higher rate of movement. Okay. Connective tissue stiff. Mm -hmm. Take away the magnitude by, by releasing the band. There's a very quick release of, of, uh, of there's a quick expansion. So I get the, I get the yield at the end of the cut. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. A lot of energy storage. And then it's like, okay, do I want to dampen that and, and emphasize the yield or do I want to turn it in the other direction? And take, the, take the stored energy and, and really, and release it. You see what I'm, what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So it just depends on the intent of the activity. If you're just driving yield, you would just stop there and allow for that yield to kind of that it, time. Yes. 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 So you dampen it. So you dampen it and it just, it just spreads out, right? All mm -hmm. that, all that, the, all the force spreads out through the system. And then you teach them to, to dampen those forces. So if I had somebody that, I don't know, was having trouble with like a decelerative kind of an activity, right? And I want to teach them to yield and absorb that more effectively. That would be one of those strategies that you could use. I'm, I'm just going to pull you into your cut and then hold it and stick. Just like if you were landing a jump and stick kind of a situation. Gotcha. And you could use the band the other way if you're trying to decrease that contact time. So uh, if it's pulling you out of the cut, right? Yeah, okay. but you gotta be, you gotta be careful with that. Like overspeed okay. stuff, overspeed stuff's a little, little iffy. Okay. I was just, because I had, I have a post-op ACL and um, so that she's like that ground contact time is really, really high. So we're still working on range of motion type stuff, but kind of move thinking uh, ahead of time just to, for her to increase that impulse. Okay, perfect. That, that literally, you, you said the word I was going to use as soon as you stopped talking. This is perfect. It's the impulse that you want. Okay. Yes. So, so you literally put her where you want her and you go, uh, 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 mm -hmm. right. Okay. So you teach her to feel the, 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 uh, the impulse that she's going to use at the turnaround. Right. Uh, okay. Be sure to do that. So she feels that and then take it away and, and then have her do her activity. Mm. You see it? Yeah. 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 So, so you're, 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 you're teaching her how to produce that impulse at the turnaround. As opposed to feeding it to her. Like, she's like, I don't it. want, like, I don't like to yank people out of a position because, because number one, they're not, they're not, I'm producing the force. Yeah. Right. And so from a coordinative standpoint, it's not the same, mm. right? It doesn't mean that I can't put her in that position and get her to feel like how she's going to, like, she's got to push into the ground. Otherwise I pull her off base. Right. Yeah. And so she feels the impulse she's pushing into the ground repeatedly. And then it's like, okay, do the exact same thing. But instead of me pulling on the band, you push yourself out of this now. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, and um, I it's like towing. You know what I mean? You ever seen, you ever seen like the, the overspeed with rubber bands where people do towing and they, they yeah. think it makes people fast. You tend to put, they, they tend to put the brakes on 
yeah. those circumstances. And, and so it tends to not be a great strategy under most circumstances. And so, so this way, though, she can feel the impulse. Gotcha, gotcha. And I also had a question regarding uh, just the internal forces and the gut. So part of that conversation was, you know, the acceleration and being able to modulate the speed of the guts relative to the body, to the canister. Yep. Um, but I think one of the things I was thinking about was the pressurization. So the breath holding, that's going to limit just like it would for the, the appendicular skeleton, like the, the movement, it's going to lock it. It's going to decrease that the uh, displacement of the, of the guts, right? With the internal pressure. Okay. Yes, but. All right. Okay. So you think about pressure from the outside in. Uh -huh. All right. I can still get flow. So, so if you think about like the, 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 the widest part of the circumference of the, of the, the cylinder, right? Okay. I'm still going to get, I'm still going to get movement. Potentially it's less depending on, on magnitude and such, right? But it's still moving. It still has, it still has mass and it still has velocity. So it still has momentum. Okay. The pressure isn't high enough to eliminate the- okay. I hope not. I hope not. That would hurt. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That was just one of the things, but it would decrease relative to like just as yeah. a continuum. Potentially. Yeah. If you're able to- it depends on it depends on how much excursion that you do have up and down, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but decreasing the pressure, the internal or uh, the pressure from the breath, it would be a gradient as well, right? Where the more Correct. you're able to breath, okay, okay. Correct. gotcha. Yeah, so 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 at max P breath hold, it would have it would have the least amount of movement, right? But the impulse would be very very high, mm. and then you release it, and then there's your velocity. So um, sometimes uh, I've seen you do bands with uh, like a hanging weight. So the band is not attached to a rack or anything. It's, it's free flowing, but it's no, on the bar, like a kettlebell and it's on the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what um, can you describe what, what's going on with the guts in that application? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So here's, here's what I want you to think about here. Um, so I, I, I did a video, this is on a video, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. uh, yeah. And I was hanging kettlebells off the side. Yeah. Cause I, I, I'll tell you, like I've, I've used that as well. Not, not so much for squats, but more for like push press to get, uh, to work on the rebound. Yes. Okay. So that's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about the internal forces here. So, um, when, when you've got the rubber band attached to the bar and then you're going to move the bar, what I want you to think about is, is make the kettlebell the guts on the initial movement. Okay. So if I press up, it's kind of like, you, you ever watch Bugs Bunny Roadrunner cartoons? So the, the cliff breaks away and Wiley Coyote's standing there looking in the, in the, in the camera and his neck mm -hmm. gets really long and then his head snaps down. Mm -hmm. Reverse gears. Okay. So I push, I lift the load up. So I'm pushing the bar up, but the, but the, the kettlebell stays put. And then the, then the, uh, the rubber band elongates and then the kettlebell comes, the guts are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So whatever that kettlebell does on that initial push, that's what the guts are doing. Right. So they're going to push down 
on whatever they're able to push down on. So like we're talking about like the root of the mesentery where they're actually attached to the spine, they're actually going to pull down on the spine or whatever guts can push down into the, into the uh, pelvic outlet, they're going to push into the pelvic outlet. And so it's going to create like that trampolining effect, right? That you see externally in the rubber band and the kettlebell guts are doing the same thing. So, so in the case of a squat, then so as you go down, there's a, there's a moment where I, I guess, are you, you're probably moving faster than the kettlebell. I think the kettlebell is kind of staying put. Then you go down and then they follow. Depending on how fast you go, you are absolutely correct. Okay. Right. But, 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 but so, so again, so the, the guts are, are, they're fluid. They're in a bag and they're surrounded by fluid. So this is like a, as close to frictionless as you can imagine. Otherwise it'd be really uncomfortable just to walk across the room because you'd be feeling your guts all the time. So it's kind of like, you know, post Thanksgiving dinner is a great way to represent how uncomfortable the guts can be. Right. So, so they're sliding up and down through this piston of your body, right? The faster you move your body, there's always a delay internally. Right. So if I go really, really slow, the kettlebell really doesn't move all that much unless you got like a really elastic rubber band, right? So that so I can control the descent and the kettlebell kind of comes down with me and there's really no elongation until you get to like the turnaround and maybe there's a little bit, okay? But if I go down really fast, the kettlebell stays up. That's what the guts are doing. The guts are staying up and then they slam down with the kettlebell. Um, so my, my question is going to get away from like the specific application type stuff for a second. Um, but I want to add, get your perspective on like goal setting. So I guess kind of like was asking, like the reason I'm asking this question is what I'm realizing is like, there's so much out there that I want to learn, <laughs> which like, is kind of like the cool part about this field. I think for a lot of us that like to the day we die, like you, there's always something new to learn. Um, but that also I kind of find myself getting lost a little bit in terms of like direction of where I want to go with things. So I know you do like a lot of mentorship um, with people, I'm assuming of all ages. Um, so kind of just wanted to hear your perspective on like how you try to help direct people in terms of like setting goals for themselves, both short-term and long-term um, to stay like a little more focused. Okay. Um, so you're, you're what, two years out? Yeah. Okay. So you're still in consumption mode right? Mm -hmm. Everything that you do is based on consumption because you're, you're building, you're building representations and understanding and adding tools. So you need to, you need a regular exposure to tools that give you ass, um, um, access to the system, right? So that would be your manual skills or anything that would be associated with that. So from a priority standpoint, your continuing education that you pay money for or travel for um, probably needs to revolve around tools, okay? The, the education side of things that would be information-based is to uh, capture perspectives of understanding, right? So I have a perspective of, of understanding, right? And then there are others, and the more of those that you can understand, the more earned your opinions can be. And then the rest is, is gap filling as to um, when somebody says one thing and somebody says another, well, how do you figure out what, what your answer would be to that? So that's, that's what you invest in. And that's about probably 
of, of what you need to be doing. Okay. But what I would do to determine like what direction you need to go is what flips your skirt. Okay. What do you, what, what are you interested in? And you start there. I don't think that there's like one way to do this. I think that, that you, you sort of have to start with something that, that gets you excited about something or you're interested in, and then you do that first. And then that sort of leads you to the next thing and to the next thing. Um, I don't think you need a plan. I think you need to start because plans never go as planned, right? Mm -hmm. So you just do something and then you do the next thing and you do the next thing. I don't think there's a right way. Whenever you need um, a broader understanding, then, then you go in that direction. So like using anatomy as a representation of, of something. So sometimes, well, I t it's not even sometimes, every student I've ever worked with sucked at anatomy, right? Everybody's really good with like the superficial muscles, right? Everybody knows pecs and lats glutes, right? All the big stuff that, that people like to look at. And then it's like, they get lost when we start talking about other things, right? When you talk about where things are, um, it's always good to learn that in context versus trying to do rote memorization. Like don't buy an anatomy app and start just staring at a muscle. You say, why would this muscle do this? And, and when would it be useful for me to understand what this thing is doing? Like when we talk about a knee, right? Really cool muscles that influence knees are like the anterior compartment of the lower leg, um, the vastus lateralis, vastus medialis, and then you can kind of learn stuff about those things. That's how you would accumulate that type of, a, of, a, of an awareness. But like I said, you just, like, you just say, okay, what tool excites me? Do that. Okay. And then where do I need more understanding? Do I need to understand, you know, uh, the influence of pelvis orientation? Okay. And then that's going to lead you to anatomy. And then that's going to lead you to gait. And then that's going to lead you to force production versus range of motion. You see, it just kind of builds out. Yeah. So, so again, you start with what you're excited about. Do that. Okay. And, I, it, 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 and again, it, it's, it's all based on you. It's like, so, you know, Nikki's excited about one thing, right? Nikki. And then Zach's going to be excited about something else. And neither one is wrong. Okay. But I would, I, would, I would offer that one of the mistakes that I made um, very early on is that I tried to remember stuff. And I would say that, that you need to write. Like anything that you, that you think you understand, anything that you discover, anything that seems like a conflict, anything that becomes a question, you need to write it down. Right, because that's going to help organize your brain. Yeah, and I, I have been doing so. I, have, I started taking like students recently, um, on like their like full time rotations, and like for them, like as we go over different things, like writing it down, so like they have like it to reference later on. And like, I definitely have found that really helpful in terms of like cementing my understanding of things in terms of, like writing it out. Right. Yes, all of my students get a a, a notebook. Yeah, and, and I make them write it like with a pen and paper, retention is better. Don't let them, don't let them type into a computer. They'll hate me. <laughs> yeah. that, Frederick's got the notebook. Yeah. No, it's like, it's like retention is just better. Yeah. So, um, so all the intensive people that are coming um, in, uh, in June, 
they get a notebook because there's no manual. Yeah, they have to write. Back to the Stone Age. <laughs> uh, thank you for that tremendous insult, Zach. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I'm, yeah, me and Fred Flintstone hang out at the, at the bar after work, right? <laughs> <laughs>